Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So this summer, we have uh, been spending the whole summer looking at what Jesus said about that. And we've been looking at a lot of different topics um, and, and not what Paul said, or, or Peter, or James, or John, um, or one of the other books of the Bible, um, but we've been really focusing in on, on the Gospels, and specifically what Jesus said, um, both in his teaching and his words, as well as by his actions. And um, we've looked at a lot of different things, and today we're going to be looking at the single topic that he talked about more than any other issue. This is the thing he talked more about than anything else. It is the topic of money. And the minute I say that, I sense the walls start to go up because this is a really personal thing. And you know why it's such a personal thing? Here's what Jesus said about it. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, what he's saying is this isn't a financial issue. This is a heart issue. This isn't about material goods. This is about your spiritual health. And he talked so much about it that, that really this week, the, the, the big task for me was to narrow down what passage are we going to take? Because he spoke about it so many times in so many different uh, areas of the Gospels. It's like I had to narrow it down, and I just narrowed it down to that one sentence, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, he said that sentence on a couple of different occasions. We're going to look at two different passages today um, about that. And, and let me just say, I know, I know the discomfort. Okay, believe me, I, when I, you know, because a lot of times people say, you know, that's all the church ever wants. They always talk about, they're only, all they want is my money. And I just want you to know that is not the case. This is really a spiritual issue. This is a heart issue. And that's why we talk about, that's why Jesus talked about it. And so, um, I honestly, you know, because usually we try to kind of get the word out. We do Facebook posts, you know, the topic today is, and blah, blah, blah. Honestly, this week, I didn't want to post anything because I thought if I post it, it's we're going to talk about money. Nobody's going to show up. Okay. <laughs> Because it's a hard issue. It really is. Here's how much of a hard issue it is. Let me give you a couple of financial statistics from this last year. In a recent Gallup poll, 64% of married couples admit most of their fights are over money. The average household car, credit card debt in America right now, the most current figure, the average household credit card, not mortgage, not anything, just consumer debt is just under $16,000. Yikes. Yeah. For a couple of you, you just thought, oh, there's an area that I'm above average. <laughs> the typical college graduate today graduates with $30,000 in student loan debt. Before they have a job, they have a debt of $30,000. In fact, this, this one blew me away. More, in 2013, more Americans declared personal bankruptcy than graduated from college. Scary. One of the leading causes of divorce in our country is money issues. Money tears apart marriages. It tears apart families. Families fight over inheritances. In fact, one of the passages we're going to look at today comes from a fight over an inheritance. It really is a heart issue. It really is. And that's why Jesus spoke so much about it. Now, here's some of the things that he said. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. This is what Jesus said. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Now, he made that same declaration in another place. It's in Luke's gospel. And it actually comes at, like I said, an inheritance dispute. And the setting is that Jesus has been teaching, and someone from the crowd shouts out. It's Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. He says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then he told them this parable, this story. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for who, with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. And skip down, verse 33. So he says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So today, I want to talk about your heart. I want to talk about my heart. Specifically, how it is revealed by my treasure, by my money, by my possessions, by your treasure, possessions, and money. Because it really is a heart issue. And so... The very first thing is then I need to make an honest assessment of my heart. You need to make an honest assessment of your heart. Because it's a heart issue, it's got to start with a heart assessment. Jesus said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Now notice that's a double warning. The first is watch out, pay attention, exclamation. Right now, you are in danger. Warning, warning, Will Robinson. Okay, Watch out, he says. Wake up. Pay attention. But then he goes on. He says, be on your guard against all kinds of... In other words, wake up to the problem, but then understand, this is going to demand constant vigilance on your part. This will be an ongoing issue. This greed thing, it is so subtle. Like all these other things that we have been talking about so, so recently in Jesus' thing. When he talked about judgmentalism last week, talked about it because it's so subtle we slip into it and we start doing it without even realizing it we talked about worry a couple weeks ago same thing we just kind of slip into this and we start worrying and we got this worry pattern going on we don't even realize it sin same thing it's so subtle we just slip into these patterns and we don't even realize it he said these things are all so subtle you've got to be on your guard see most of us we tend to think that greed is a rich person's problem and since I'm not rich, it's not my problem. It's those one percenters. It's those corporate bigwigs. It's those, those greedy guys out there. But Jesus says, no, no, no. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Because it's a heart problem. And it's a heart problem for every single one of us. In this situation, it starts with a dispute over an inheritance. 
And one of, the, one of the sons comes and says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, here's what I want you to think about. An inheritance is, by definition, somebody else's money. See, this isn't, he didn't work for this. He didn't earn it some way. He hadn't saved up for this. This wasn't something that he deserved. This is something that came to him completely out of the blue. This is something, it's somebody else's money. And yet there is a sense that I am entitled to it. Just by my very presence and being alive, I get, I'm supposed to get a share of that. See, that's kind of our mentality. That's the greed mentality. I deserve this. I earned it. it, Just because I'm here, it should be mine. Greed by definition is this. It It is the intense desire for something more. And it is so subtle. We don't recognize it in ourselves. We recognize it in the story that Jesus told by the pronouns. Did you catch it as we read through it? Listen to what he said. He he has this great harvest, and this is what he says. What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and then I will store my surplus grain, and I'll say to myself, now you have plenty. There is no mention of anyone else. Does he have a wife? Does he have kids? Does he have any friends? No mention of anybody else. It's all about me. There's no, and then he talks about my surplus. There is no thought of sharing with anyone else. You have extra, and the thought is, how am I going to hold on to my extra? That is the heart of greed. And it lurks in every single one of us. See, I can be satisfied until I see something better that I don't have. (laughs) Now I'm not satisfied anymore. In fact, even more so, I can be satisfied until I see that you have something that I don't have. And greed and envy start to creep right in. In fact, actually, they're there the whole time. They just come to the surface. There's a researcher by the name of Franz DeWall. Um, and they've been doing some research um, it, with um, Kapuchkin monkeys and just kind of looking at um, this whole idea of fairness and, and wanting and this whole thing. And um, he did a TED Talk not too long ago. It's, on, it's actually on YouTube. Um, but they did this experiment where they had these two Kapuchkin monkeys in cages right next to each other. And it's a very simple thing. Um, they, the researcher would give a rock to the monkey, and then the monkey could use the rock in exchange. He would use it basically to pay for uh, a slice of cucumber. And so, the, you know, they would give the monkey the rock, and if the monkey would give the rock back, he would get exchange a slice of cucumber. And a slice of cucumber is certainly better to suck on than, than a rock, okay? So, you know, everything's going good, and so they get the rock. They're teaching them to exchange the rock and to get the cucumber, and then something happens. They change it up, and then the second monkey, instead of a cucumber, they give a grape, which is a far superior piece of fruit, okay? Uh, fruit's better, better than vegetable any day. So watch what happens. So there's a monkey. He's got his rock, hands over his rock, gets a cucumber. Nice cucumber, juicy, tasty. Second monkey goes, gets his rock, gives his rock. He gets a grape. Now watch the first monkey. Whoa, grapes. We're giving out grapes now. Here's my rock. What? Cucumber? 
I don't want your stinking cucumber. I want the grape. Give me the grape. There's a second monkey. Okay, okay. All right, okay. I see what's going on. The rock, maybe I didn't do it right. Okay, here's my rock. Let's make sure. Is it a real rock? Yeah, okay, that's a rock. Okay, here we go. There's my rock. Now I get my grape. I don't want your stinking cucumber. <laughs> I wanted the grape. <laughs> Turns out monkeys aren't that far different than us after all. <laughs> See, that's the way it works. Jesus said, it really is down to the core of your being. It's a heart issue. And so it's got to be addressed on the heart level. That's why he said over and over and over again, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So here's a homework assignment for you. Here's what I'd like you to do. Let me encourage you to do this. This week, go home sometime this week, pull up your last three months of bank statements and just see where your money's going. And it will reveal your heart. You live in California, a big part of your heart goes to your house. <laughs> I had someone actually, it was last night's service, go, that's not fair. I was just on vacation this whole last month. I spent two weeks in Disneyland. If I look at my statement, it's all going to show Disneyland. I said, well, there's your heart. She goes, yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> See, it's got to start with the heart. So first thing you got to do is get an honest assessment of your heart. And once you got a sense of where things really are at with your heart, then start to reorder your financial priorities. Now, now that's time to change something. Jesus said life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. And we say mentally, yeah, I believe that. But we keep buying into this myth of more. In fact, we call them our possessions but very often, it's not so clear who's the possessor and who's the possessee. We, uh, we were fortunate enough when we moved to Benicia 25 years ago. Um, we had a house in Daly City that we had a lot of equity in. And so we sold our house. We were able to buy a brand new house when we moved to Benicia. And it was a beautiful brand new house on a third acre. We were living on a little postage stamp lot, you know, in Daly City. And, um, and we moved in a brand new house, which meant for years and years and years, no repairs. Everything was fine. It was just beautiful. But in the last five years, all of a sudden, things need to be repainted, repaired, and replaced. And I am finding that I am spending far more time and energy on money on my house. And it's becoming a lot more clear to me that it's the house that owns me now. Not so much me owning the house. See, we call them our possessions, but very often our possessions tend to start to possess us. And we buy into this myth of more. And despite all evidence to the contrary, we keep thinking, if I just had a little more, I would be satisfied. Gene Apple put it this way. He said, having more of what already doesn't satisfy will not make you more satisfied. That's so true. Even in his success, even in this man's success, he is not satisfied. See, listen to what he says. He says, okay, I'm going to build these bigger barns. Once I got the bigger barns all built and everything stored away, then I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. 
Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. I want you to notice the verb test tense there. He has had a record crop. So much so that he cannot contain it. You would think with all that he would be satisfied, but he's not. He's still thinking about what he still needs to do. He needs to build bigger barns. And then once all the barns are filled, the bigger barns are filled, then I will say to him, it's all still in the future. It's still chasing this train that's down the track. He is still not satisfied. If you put a priority list for him, if you kind of looked at his priorities, it would kind of start with this. Harvest a record crop. Now, once I got a record crop, second priority, build bigger barns. And with my bigger barns, now achieve Financial security. Now I can take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Thing is that Jesus said, even if you accomplish that, you still got stuff to worry about. He says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Because even if you build your bigger barns and you fill them to the brim, now you got to worry about the rats. You build the bigger closet, the big walk-in closet. You can store all your clothes. Now you got to worry about the moths. You buy that big 42-inch big screen TV with surround sound and that whole tricked-out system. Now you got to worry about thieves. It says, never going to be satisfied. And it will just lead to more and more worry. I wonder, I wonder today... What our priority list would look like. What do we do with our money? If you did that little experiment this week and pulled out for the last three months and started looking at where your money goes, it might look something like this. Well, first thing I do is I spend it. And then, and then I have to pay debt because that's the stuff that I already bought, but I'm still paying for even though it's broken, thrown out, or on Benicia bargains. <laughs> of course, I got to pay my taxes because you can't get away from that, but I'm going to push it down as far down the list as I possibly can. Then I will save. And then if there's anything left over, I can give. I have a feeling that's pretty much what our priority list would look like if we were honest with ourselves. Now, what I want you to think about is in that priority list, who benefits from each of these? See, who, who, who is given the priority here? In my spending, who benefits from that? Me. So that's top priority is me. I pay my debt. Well, that still benefits me. I have to pay my taxes. Well, how does that benefit? Well, the government. But I live in this country, so I get some benefit out of that. So it does still benefit me. It's still me on the priority list. I save. That's for me. And then if there's any left over, I give. And that benefits God, his kingdom, and other people. We're honest with ourselves. That's really what our priority list looked like. And all top four priorities are about me. And what Jesus says is you think you are benefiting yourself, but ultimately you are not. Ultimately you're not. Listen to what God had to say to the man who had planned so well for himself. You fool, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And the answer to that question is somebody else. 
somebody else. Now, what I want you to understand is he's not called a fool because he was successful. He's not called a fool because he plans for his future. He's called a fool because he has put all his hopes and his security in thinking that's what he could provide for himself. I think there is no coincidence that Jesus tells this story about a man dying to a guy who has a dispute with his brother over an inheritance. Because I think what Jesus is saying in that, listen, you are destroying your family. You are destroying your relationship with your brother. You are letting all of that come apart and all of it being destroyed for stuff that you're going to pass on to somebody else too. It starts with an honest assessment of my heart and then a reordering of my priorities. And then there's a better way, Jesus says, and this is the better way. Take deliberate steps towards generosity. He said, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. See, that's why he was a fool. He had stored everything up for himself only to pass it on to somebody else. And he was not rich Toward God. His foolishness was in thinking he could provide that security for himself by his own efforts. And in his arrogance, he lost it all. Because ultimately, that cannot be your source of security. He says, be rich toward God. Being rich towards God means that my heart starts to reflect God's heart. That my current Situation, my life in the present is a reflection of my hope of eternity. And that my possessions, the things that I own here and now, are far less valuable than the people that God has created in His image. That's what it means to be rich toward God. Jesus said it's simply this love God, love people. That's what we've seen in just about every one of these topics we've talked about this whole thing. It really comes down to the rule of love. Love God, love people. That's what it means to be rich toward God. What if, what if we were to reverse our priorities? What if we made it our first priority to give back toward God? What if we made a conscious decision to move towards generosity and at the very top of our list, whatever we do, the first thing we do is we give. And we develop a generous heart. This is what Jesus said. Give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. See, when I deliberately give, when I consciously, consistently give, what it starts to do it starts to break the grip and the hold that greed has on my heart. Not right away. But eventually, it does. And what it starts doing is, it starts exposing that myth of more in my life that I run by. Again, not right away. But eventually. And what it does is it slowly changes my heart that I begin to understand what true richness of life looks like. 
And that's why Jesus talks so much about it. Because he's about transforming our hearts. It's that simple. Love God, love people. This past week, we had the opportunity to be a host site, a video host site for the Global Leadership Summit. Many of you attended it. Um, for those of you who didn't, you missed out on some really good stuff. Um, but it, was, it's, uh, it, it originated from Chicago suburbs um, and was broadcast all around the United States, Canada, going to go worldwide. And they brought in some of the top-notch speakers from all different areas of leadership, corporate leadership, nonprofit leadership, church leadership, all kinds of different areas. And I just want to read you some of the quotes that I took away because it was this consistent theme in just about every single speaker. And it all had to do with generosity and with giving and about caring about others. Jim Collins, you may know him, he wrote the book Good to Great, um, quite famous, very knowledgeable. Um, this is what he said. He said, we succeed at our very best only when we help others succeed. He said, take care of your people, not your career, because life is people. Ed Catmill, co-founder of Pixar Animation. Um, he's actually now the president of, of Disney Animation. He said, we have a vested interest in each other's success. Adam Grant, he's a professor at Wharton School of Business. He's written a book called Give and Take. And he identifies in the corporate world, there are givers, there are takers, and there are matchers. And the givers are constantly giving, the takers are constantly taking, and the matchers are kind of trying to even things out. And he said, of all of their research, and that they've seen it, what they've seen in the corporate world over the long run, it's the givers who became the top performers. Not right away. They said, in the short term, the givers were the ones that were losing out because they were so busy helping other people. They weren't making their quotas. Or they were so busy making sure everybody else was taken care of. They were, they were kind of suffering on their own end. But they said, in the long run, what they found it over the long period of time, the givers became the top producers because they developed relationships and their giving resulted in reciprocal giving and they actually became rising to the top of the performers in their, in their industries. The givers. See, that's the Jesus way. Sam Adeyemi, he's the pastor of a 25,000 member church in Nigeria. He said, you will not find the definition of success until you help your people succeed. Horst Schulze is the founding president of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Group. said, you develop customer loyalty based on trust. You develop trust when you learn how to serve. He said, our whole hotel business, you know, this is like the top of the top hotels. He says, we have to tell our employees all the time, we are in the serving business. We are in the serving business. We can't have this attitude that you are lucky to be staying in our beautiful hotel. <laughs> The only, the only way we retain and, and get repeat customer loyalty is we serve them. That's the Jesus way. And it is counterintuitive to the way that our culture tells us to live. But Jesus said it 2,000 years ago. And it is true because it's the way God really designed us to operate. Now, we, uh, about three and a half years ago, we on the lead team here at Northgate made a conscious decision because one of the things we discovered is that we, we had started this church with a spirit of generosity. It's been one of our core values from the very, very beginning. When we were just a little tiny church of about 30 people the very first Christmas, um, we started this thing called Adopt a Family at Christmas time where we would help families in need who couldn't afford to provide Christmas presents for their, for their families. 
and we started that. So that was a value with us from the very, very beginning. But what we had found that over the years that something had started to shift and we were becoming, we had more of a consumer attitude and a consumer rather than a contributor mentality around here. And we decided we've got to do something. We've got to, we've got to elevate that because that's one of our core values, but we've let it slip. And so we need to re, re, elevate that core value of generosity around here. And the way that we decided to do it to start with was that thing called the dollar club. And we thought, okay, that's just a simple, easy step. That's a bit, that's not even a baby step. Okay. That's a toddler holding onto the coffee table kind of step when generosity is one stinking dollar. Okay. But we said, if we could just encourage people to just start parting with a little bit of their money. So we started this thing called the dollar club in three and a half years Here's what's happened. We have helped 213 families to the tune of over $130,000. Yeah. That's just, that's just the dollar club. Now, here's the other thing we decided. It can't just be about, you know, $1. We got to make a commitment to this in our general fund. Now, yeah, we've got a mortgage to pay. We got light bills to pay. We got staff to pay. Okay. But we also decided we need to, as a church in our budget, we need to elevate generosity as a church, just in the way that we operate. And so between our benevolence fund, our single mom's night out, the adopt a family program that we supplement, not just with people buy gifts, but we always end up with more people in need than we get gifts bought. Okay. So we have to supplement that. We supplement that our Thanksgiving boxes, local missions that we help the Mother's Day and Father's Day donations that we make to, to uh, organizations around here. Um, our walk for water, we invest out of our general fund. By the way, just by the volunteers in the walk for water, we have, I've been saying for the last two, two services that we have been able to drill six wells. It's actually eight wells that we have able to be drilled in, in villages in Uganda, villages that have not had a clean source of water forever. And now they have a, a, a wells in their village clean, deep water, safe water wells that serve thousands and thousands of people through Walk for Water. We help do that out of our general fund, um, our monthly mission support, our outreach events like Spring Fest and Fourth of July involvement and Waterfront Festival and uh, Trunk or Treat and all those things. These, we budgeted for them in our general fund. And in all told, we have over the last three and a half years, just under $350,000 has gone out of this church And I don't say that to pat us on the back. I say that to say that this is what happens when people decide and determine to be generous. That we as a church leadership made that decision. And you know what happened? It started to change the environment of our whole church. We never used to applaud when it came to offering time, generous giving time, okay? We, in fact, we never even really talked much about generous giving time, okay? We decided we got to elevate that value because it, it's so core to who Jesus said we are called to be. Now, I'm going to tell you, over the last number of years, I have made a n- more, more than my share of bad financial decisions, But I will tell you this, the one decision I have made that I have never regretted was to give. And before Betty and I were married as single people, it was a part of our finances. And when we got married, we determined the very first check, the very first bill before anything else gets paid, we give. 
And over the years, 39 years now of marriage, we have been able to increase that and increase that to our church family, to orphans, to Walk for Water, to all kinds of different organizations. And I have not regretted one cent of that because it's changed my heart. See, now I have a heart for Uganda. I have a heart for orphan children. I have a heart for clean water. Those things happened because I decided to change my heart. And your heart will always follow your treasure. And that's why Jesus said, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to be very, very, very clear. When we talk about this, we are not talking about buying your way into heaven. We're not talking about paying for God's love. He already loves you. In fact, he loves you so much that he gave his one and only son who came to this earth and taught us for three years and then gave his life on a cross. And in that, turned around and gave us this gift, this free gift of eternal life, forgiveness for my past, forgiveness for my sin, a new way of living on this earth, and the promise of an eternity with him. All of that comes freely as a gift of his grace. And if you're here today and you don't know his grace, I want you to know that's really, that's really the message of the church. What we've been talking about this morning has been primarily directed, in fact, it's been pretty much directed to those who call themselves Christ followers. And it's just a challenge that comes to you and me every day. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Your life does not consist of your possessions. So give. Give to the poor. Give to the kingdom. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, if you are here and you consider yourself a Christ follower, but you would be honest enough to take that heart assessment today to be able to freely admit it is not where it should be. My priorities are out of whack. So much so that I know I need to make a decision to change it because it's not going to change on its own. And if you would be honest enough with yourself and with God, say, I need to change my priorities. I need to take some deliberate steps, and this is not going to be easy. I could use your prayers. I would love to pray for you on that. Like we do every week, I'm going to ask you, if that describes you in any way, and you want to see a change, and you want to start that change by a decision, make it known by just raising your hand. Yeah. is a heart issue. It really is. Now, if you're here today and you don't know the grace of God, it has nothing to do with maybe what we talked about today, but God has been working in your heart and he's been, he's been drawing you and, and, and you know, you don't, you don't know where you stand with him because you've never freely experienced his gift of grace. Today, I want you to know 
He offers it to you freely. He loves you just the way that you are. And he will forgive your past. He will forgive your sin. He will give you a new life. He will start to change your heart. But if you've never taken that first step of faith and admitted your need and asked for his help, you can do that today. And I don't ever want to close one of our times together without giving somebody an opportunity to make that first step of faith. So if that's you today, even though it may have nothing to do with what you heard this morning, but just what God is doing on your own heart, and you need to respond to him. And you want to take a first step of faith and trust in him and receive his free gift of eternal life. Same thing, would you just raise your hand, hold it up for a moment so I can see you and acknowledge you. Pray for you as we close. So, Lord, here we are with our faults and our weaknesses, pursuing that myth of more. Instead of receiving freely what you have, pray for those who raised a hand and saying, this is a first step of faith for me. God, thank you for what you're doing in that person's heart. I pray that they would in this moment find the forgiveness and the freedom that you freely give by your grace that you would take that life and that heart and begin to turn it around. And for those of us who raised hands saying, this is a struggle for me and my priorities are out of whack and I got to do something about it and it's going to be tough because I don't even know where to start. Lord, would you give us the strength and the courage, the tenacity to follow through. Keep changing our hearts. And for us as a church, Lord, keep moving us toward generosity. May we never be so focused on ourselves and our buildings and our programs that we forget our call to reflect your love in tangible ways through giving. We pray these things in Jesus' name. For his kingdom's sake, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.